Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Burning It Down Racing Podcast. This week, we bring on fellow UNC Charlotte student, writer for the podium, finishing co-host for video content at Grid Network, Kobe Lambeth. And we also get into a little bit of NASCAR playoff topics and preview the Darlington throwback race. Let's get into it. All right, Bryson, we are going to welcome welcome in Kobe uh, for this interview. Kobe, man, how's it going? I'm doing great. Hope you guys are doing well. Yeah, I think so. You know, we're all getting through the COVID times right now, but enjoying some NASCAR along the way. Uh, let's kind of get right into it. So, fellow UNC Charlotte student, do a little bit of writing, do a little bit of video content, but uh, let's kind of backtrack. Uh, how did you first get into NASCAR? Oh, wow, Ben. I've, I've told this story many times before. You know, I've been telling it for years. It's actually really strange. I, I got into NASCAR. It was kind of like a, a very happy accident, in my opinion, because it was February 2007. It was really cold outside. There, it was Sunday. There was not. There was like literally nothing to watch on television. And then, and then I just, I just like get in my room, you know, t- get the remote, turn on the TV, just flip through channels. And then I see these these cars. And I'm like, hmm, this is interesting because I, I you know, grown up really enjoyed Hot Wheels. And I just, I just sat down and watched the entire 2007 Daytona 500. And I. And before that, I literally had no idea what NASCAR was. I had no idea what I was watching, but it was entertaining because it was cars and it reminded me of Hot Wheels. And I watched the Daytona 500 from flag to flag. And what truly made me become a fan of NASCAR when I was a little boy was that finish, you know, between Mark Martin and Kevin Harvick when Kevin Harvick ended up winning the Daytona 500 and then a big crash behind him with Clint Boyer on his roof sliding across in the grass, you know, in the front stretch. That was that was definitely quite a welcome to NASCAR and as as soon as you know I saw that finish I was like I definitely I definitely love this and I want to get into it and after that I like went online and found out when all the races were happening and I and I watched every single race after after that you know I rarely missed a race and it was actually tough during the summer because at the time we didn't have cable and and I did it old school way when NASCAR went to TNT I had to had to listen on the radio you know, very, very old school in my opinion, but, but, you know, I was committed. I really just like fell in love in NASCAR. It was love at first sight. And then I was, and then when they were on ESPN still had to listen to the radio, but when they returned to ABC, I always got to see the final 10 playoff races. So it was definitely very rewarding for me, you know, start off the season on Fox, got to see all of the, got to see all of the races, then TNT and ESPN, you know, radio old school, very, it was frustrating, but you know, then rewarded to see those final ten races. So that's how I got into NASCAR. I'm really happy that I just randomly found it on TV on a cold winter day. So, Kobe, I got a question for you. What was your first race? You know, we always remember that first race we went to, the memories that we had there. So, uh, what was your first race that you ever went to in person? It was the 2015 STP 500 at Martinsville Speedway, and it's really crazy how that happened because some friends of Matt Benedetto had tickets to the race, and 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 the, and one of the people who had the tickets in that family, you know, the friends of Matt Benedetto, he he worked with my mom, and then yeah, but unfortunately, you know, he got called in to work on that Sunday, and so well, so he couldn't join his family at the race. So, yeah, so he knew my mom, you know, always like talked about me being a NASCAR fan and all of that. And then, and then he's like, Hey, your son likes racing. He can take my ticket. And then, and, and then, you know, she told me about it. And then I was like, yes, I want to go. 
and and although I actually didn't know the family at all at the time, so it was it was actually a little nerve wracking for me, you know, going to you know spending an entire day with a family that I didn't even know at all at the time. But but you know, I didn't I didn't feel any different at all. They treated me just like a member of the family, and never in a million years I thought I was going to get to go to my first NASCAR race then and there because you know I've been a fan you know for a while at that point. I believe that was my eighth year being a NASCAR fan. And I hadn't been to a race until that point. And, you know, Martinsville is about 40, 45-ish minutes. You had to track 40, 45-ish minutes from my house in Reedsville, North Carolina. Yeah, and it was it was definitely quite an experience, you know, being able to attend my first NASCAR race due to the congestion as the friends of Matt DiBenedetto. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, what a track for your first race, too. I remember I went to Martinsville in the fall for my first time. Just absolutely just awesome. The sounds you can see for pretty much every track. Get yourself a hot dog and everything. So you're a fan up until, obviously, you still are uh, kind of just more of the fan experience. What kind of led you to get into journalism and maybe what led you to start writing for NASCAR? Actually, at first, journalism was on my radar. I knew if I wanted to get into NASCAR, in my mind, I thought I had to be a mechanical engineer. But I, but, I, but I later understood, you know, that involves a lot of math and science. And math and science are some of my weakest points as a student. So so quickly I learned, you know, maybe maybe this is not for me. Yeah, and I know, they, I know they try to tell you you should never give up no matter what. But I understand if I wanted to go in that route, you know, mechanical engineering, that probably wouldn't be the best thing for me because I definitely struggle. And when I was in high school, I was actually a part of my robotics team, Rezo Robotics Hotbox. Yeah, it was definitely a good time there, and I thought that would that would give me some good experience to put on my, at the time, you know, very young resume so to, to show them that I've been working on stuff mechanically, but trying to build a robot we did in Hotbots. I'm being honest, it was a big time struggle for me personally because all of the other students who are a part of that club, they were able to, you know, get it just right off the bat while I really struggled in the building process, and I didn't really understand a lot of the concepts and all of that stuff. And after that, that made me realize that, you know, maybe mechanical engineering wasn't the best route for me. And, and you know, been on Twitter for, for a little while at that point and followed all of the big time NASCAR journalists like Jeff Gluck, Bob Pockers, all of, you know, all of those well-respected media members in, in the sport. And then, then I was thinking maybe I could get into motorsports journalism because my teachers always praised my writing skills. I said I was very creative and thought I was one of the better writers in the class. So I said maybe... And then, and then, you know, they always said that it was quite a talent for me. And I was thinking maybe I should combine my talent with riding and my love for motorsports and maybe get into motorsports journalism. Yeah, and, it's, and it was actually quite a journey being into motorsports journalism because on Twitter I started off, you know, as a parody account called Daily NASCAR Scooping More. And I just like tweet random things, talk about the races and all of that. And I and, and started actually started my own little website, you know, Daily NASCAR Scooping More. As well, you know, start off as a parody, then it started into like a little outlet. Actually got actually got some really cool interviews. I interviewed Hannah Newhouse, Ryan Ellis. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun. I, I'm I'm still shocked that they even wanted to talk to a high school kid, but but you know, definitely very blessed that they were able to do that. But but uh, there was a lot that I had to learn. I thought I could just go in and write, and you know, that was it. I didn't really understand like how to write an article, and I. And now looking back at some of my pieces that I wrote in high school, you know, very, very cringeworthy, but it just shows, it can just, you know, just shows how much I've learned over the years in journalism, like AP style. 
back in high school, I had no idea what AP style was. And when people were trying to tell me, like, that you need to write this way, I didn't want to listen, you know, but I was just immature at the time and didn't understand that there was a certain way. I wanted to follow my rules when I was getting into journalism, but, but you know, that that's just not the case. I, I had to had to listen to to the, all of the rules of journalism because if you don't follow them, you're definitely not going to make it and people are not going to respect you. So definitely over the years, yeah, starting off Daily NASCAR scooping more, and and then it led to an, a very brief opportunity with another media outlet, but I'm not going to say their name, but, you know, it just it didn't work out for me at all. And later, and then shortly after that, I, I believe I went on to work for Rockingham Now, which is my local newspaper here, Rockingham County, Reesville, North Carolina. Had a, had a had a great time in fall 2017 covering high school football and a couple of basketball games. Yeah, built some good relationships there and got some good experience working in the field. And then I then at UNC Charlotte, I start I started with the Niner Times my freshman year, and then but I didn't I didn't complete the experience. Ended up leaving for another opportunity to come up with the podium finish. Yeah, been with the podium finish I believe since March 2018. Yeah, yeah, my my editor Rob Tiongson over there has been really cool. Felt yeah, podium finish definitely feels like a home, and I've learned a lot and you know gained gained a ton of knowledge there. And then and then just a few months ago, in on May seventeenth, started started working with the Great Network, and basically the rest is history. Well, that's pretty awesome. That's definitely uh, you know quite an adventure, quite a journey for you, and uh, I know it's definitely got to be fulfilling being able to look back and being able to know that you took some chances that, uh, you know, like you said, some didn't work out, but most of them have worked out for you. But um, what made you pick UNC Charlotte? You know, me and Ben have uh, our stories on, on why we chose to go to uh, the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Um, but what is your reason behind it? And uh, why did you think UNCC was the fit for you? And it's actually really funny because, before I picked it, I knew nothing about UNC Charlotte. All I knew that all of the NASCAR shops were located in Charlotte. And I, and I told myself in high school, that's the one school I'm going to go to. It was like UNC Charlotte or bust. But, and when people asked me early on, why did you attend UNC, you, why, why did you attend UNC Charlotte? I said, I said, because of NASCAR, that was like my only reason. And when I was a sophomore in high school, I actually went to UNC Charlotte to do one of those little Niner tours that I do with the Niner tour guys. And it's really funny because I don't remember that trip at all. I can't, and I actually have a good memory, but it still baffles me that I can't remember anything that happened when I went to UNC Charlotte when I was in high school. But but yeah, I also had an offer to go to Campbell University, High Point University as well. Yeah, and Campbell University was actually going to give me the most money, which would have covered a huge chunk of my expenses. And then UNC Charlotte didn't get didn't really give me the offer that I was looking for financially. But then I had to weigh my options. Do I follow the money and not have to pay my student? Well, I was still going to have to pay student debt back, obviously, but it wouldn't have been as much as I would have to pay now, you know, finishing up UNC Charlotte after four years. So I was like, weigh my options, you know, it was really tough. I was thinking about make my life much easier financially afterwards and go to Campbell and miss out on my opportunity to make connections in the Charlotte area or go to UNC Charlotte and, you know, pay 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 later for for the consequences of that decision, and and eventually I just I decided to pick UNC Charlotte. A lot of people criticized me for making the decision because because they knew you know Campbell University offered me a great scholarship, 
and I, and so far I've you know really really think I made the right decision going to UNC Charlotte, although it was definitely met with a lot of criticism at first. Yeah, you know, I think I followed a very similar path. I mean, I'm from Minnesota originally and going to Charlotte or, and, and even just leaving the Midwest in general was, was something I didn't really have a lot of friends doing, but uh, that's cool. You know, you got to take risks about, you know, and invest in your future. And I certainly hope that pays off for it. And it seems like you're, you're taking the right steps, but uh, you know, aside from being able to write for, for NASCAR and, and have your little thing with the Niner times kind of, how's your college experience been like in general, as far as living on, on campus and, and meeting people? Well, when I'm looking at my college experience and and with the way things are going right now with the pandemic, I have no idea if we're going to be able to return to campus in the fall or even the spring. So my college experience might very well be over. And and I noticed, I know people say you don't want to have regrets, but certainly I would have a few regrets if my college experience is over. Because I mean, like so far, I think it's been pretty good. Remember when I first came to UNC Charlotte? I was a part of the SAFE program, which is like for first-generation college students, and that was really how I, I made my first friend group in college. It was it was definitely a wonderful time, you know, being able to meet meet people from all walks of life. In my freshman friend group, we we did, we did a lot of things. If you if you live on campus, you know Laurel Hall. We spent a lot of time in Laurel Hall playing pool, and also I believe it was tape. They have a table tennis court, something like that over there. Yeah, that was certainly a lot of fun, and also went to all of the cab events, and and we went to one football game together. It was a we started off with a group of ten, I believe, or close to that. It was yeah, it was certainly such a great time for me because my life's been different than most a lot of other students. Because you know, you, you most people they grow up, and and they go and they go to friends' houses, you know, meet their families, hang out, and go on adventures and all of that, but. That never happened for me before. I've always, you know, been very independent, doing everything all by myself. And my freshman year at UNC Charlotte, meeting that group of people in the SAFE program, that was actually the very first time that I actually had people to hang out with, like, ever in my life outside of school. So after the first time we all hung out together, I actually, actually went back to my room. I was staying in Moore Hall. Yeah, and it was, I actually cried because that was such a wonderful experience to me. That was something that I never thought I'd ever experience in my entire life actually having a group of people who actually wanted to hang out with me and and people who who, who just treated me as as I am and I didn't have to do anything special or anything like that I just had to be myself and they accepted me we had a lot of great adventures freshman year and that freshman group like they say the people you meet when you start in college won't be their friends when you leave some of those friendships I've kept some of them stronger than others and but we're but we're not all together as a group anymore but uh, yeah, and although some of them, I, I don't know if I'll ever talk to them again. I'm I'm forever grateful for that experience of having them, you know, come in and accept me. And I and in the past, I've always had to like try to change myself in order to fit in. But I was just myself, and they accepted me. So I'll always forever be grateful for everything they did for me. And again, talking about some of the regrets that I have, you know, my college experience is not getting out and meeting enough people or experiencing a lot of other things like the events that's happening on campus. Because when I, because my mindset was different, I actually came into college thinking that I'm going to try to make connections, do my, you know, work my hardest to make it into NASCAR or or another form of motorsports. But uh, I I, re I really wish I, you know, just I, I think there's a lot of missed opportunities out there for me to meet people 
have fun, experience things I've never experienced before. Because like, I was always in my room in my quote-unquote media center. Because my room was basically like a media center. Had my TV up there, my laptop, my phone, everything. My printer so I can like cover all of these races. I spent a lot of time in my room covering races on the weekends. Instead of, let's say, going to basketball games, going to football games. I did go to a, I did actually went to a, a, a few football games during my time here. Had a lot of fun. But always, but always, you know, everything depended on the, the racing schedule and what races I wanted to cover from my room. And and I feel like I've definitely made a lot of gains professionally, but I feel like I've definitely had a lot of missed opportunities in my personal life that I wish I could have a chance to make right before I graduated May. But unfortunately, with the pandemic going on, I'm not really sure what the future holds. We're supposed to, you know, we're starting up the school year off online. And if things improve, We'll be back. Well, I'll be back on campus on October first for my in person for my in person class. But but you know if th- if things continue to get worse or that or you know it's not safe for students to be there, then we'll be online the rest of the semester. And I'm hope and if we do and if we do have to be online for the rest of the semester, I'm I'm hopeful that we can you know that we'll have some major breakthrough in therapeutics or maybe an early vaccine at the end of the year where we can potentially and hopefully get back in the spring because I want I just want you know one more chance to make some college memories because I'll be really disappointed if it's over so uh Kobe this is a a question for you what is your goal after college you know what do you want to uh accomplish after college and really uh what are you looking for for the the rest of your life pretty much Oh, that, that, that's a deep question right there. But, you know, just break it down a little bit. I'm not really sure what the future holds for me after college. I mean, right now, work, you know, I'm a motorsports journalist with the podium finish. Start, you know, I did some feature stories with them and also did a little writing this year. I've, yeah, and I st- I'm still very active in our podium previews. And I also did something. Uh, I did a column with Kenneth Lee Jr., who works at MRN Network. We did a seven points column. For a while, you know, it was really good. Got got a lot of experience writing, out, and a lot of my contents out there. But but I've actually taken a step back from writing because when Joe San Diego, founder of the Grit Network, you know, emailed me and he said and he said and he said I want you to come on my show as a guest. I was actually really hesitant at first, so I turned him down. And then and then later on, we we actually started. Our first show on May 17th, NASCAR Returns. It was the Real Heroes 400 at Darlington. That was our first show. And after doing that, I was like, hey, this is a lot of fun. And then I messaged the show, and I've been like, hey, I love to do future shows. And at first, you know, it was just show-by-show basis. And then, you know, just kept building up more and more. And after all of that, you know, I decided about, hey, I want to be here full-time so I can stay involved with the podium finish over with the writing portion, then great network video content. Yeah, and actually turns out, actually, like, broadcasting a lot more than I do riding but but it's definitely not my goal to like be on tv like calling the race on fox or nbc or anything like that I'm actually not really sure what I want to do yet because because you know at first it's like I want to do this and then then you get another experience and you really enjoy that then you're like I'm not so sure anymore yeah but I'm really enjoying doing video content maybe if I can do motorsports media while per while you know doing a balance of ridden and and video content, I felt like that would be really good for me. And right now, you know, really growing at the Grit Network. Joe and I are working really hard building a program, you know, building relationships now. We're actually hiring quite a few people right now to help us reach our goals, and we're very excited for all of our future programs because we do Grit Live pre-race, 
at the beginning of the weekend and at the very end we do grit live post race and and we also have grit tonight on wednesday nights where we analyze all of the news in the motorsports world having a lot of fun with that also have other programs such as race day eats talking about foods at different racetracks life on the grid we we, we debuted in yeah i believe yeah, i believe it was two months ago with with brett winningham from speedway digest and then we had Darius Goodman, who's a motorsports well, well, he's he's a sports editor and a radio show host. Yes, Darius Goodman from the Atlanta, Georgia area. He came he came on for the month of August, and we're also gonna have a new guest for September as well, and October, and the rest of the year. Yeah, excited for that. And we're also debuting a new program called Great Girls, that's gonna debut on Thursday, where we're gonna be talking about all of the female racers all across the world, and we're, and we're definitely working hard getting people hiring people for for that program. Yeah, so a lot of good things going on at the Grit Network, and re and recently we just we just got our first Patreon supporter on there, which is a huge accomplishment. Our, you know, this is five months old, and if you told me that we'd have almost six hundred followers on Twitter, over over a hundred and twenty likes on our Facebook page, going you know just over eighty subscribers on YouTube, and get our first Patreon supporter, if you told me that 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 would happen in five months, I would be really shocked. But we're but we're really happy to see all of the support that we've gotten so far because you know the people who supported Joe and then the people who have supported my motorsports coverage when we joined forces they you know they kind of came over together for this project you know to support us and it just means the world to me and as of right now I'm not really sure what my what my goal is gonna be like after college but but I'm definitely committed to seeing where things go right now with the with the podium finish and the great network. Especially, you know, with the Grit Network, since we have Patreon, since we have one Patreon supporter, see if we can get some more Patreon supporters coming up as our content improves. And and also, hopefully, we'll be able to get the 1,000 subscribers. I believe it's 4,000 viewing hours. So so we can earn income based on based on our YouTube channel. That would be a huge help as well. And thinking long-term, you know, not necessarily racing-related after college, maybe like how I see myself in 10 years. I'd I'd like to be working in motorsports full time, in in some way or form. Uh, yeah, and also also would like to be married as well, and maybe start a family too. Well, that's great, Kobe. We appreciate you uh, taking your time to uh, let us interview, and you know we're so lucky that you're going to uh, get to stick around with us for the rest of the show. But let's get into kind of the rundown about uh, this weekend's events. And it all started off with Ty Gibbs, who was Ben's pick. That was his pick for the ARCA race. He dominates the ARCA race to win once again. Uh, Friday night, Justin Haley, which was my pick, wins the Xfinity race. Uh, a very controversial finish there. Uh, we're going to talk about that later. William Byron gets his first career win to lock himself into the playoffs. That was on Saturday night at Daytona. Then Sheldon Creed would get his third win of the season. At Gateway, he'd be $150,000 richer because they were doing the three-race challenge there on Fox. Uh, he wins, and it was a one-two finish for GMS. That was at Gateway. Then also at Gateway, he had the IndyCar. He had Scott Dixon holding off to Kumasato on Saturday. Scott Dixon was my pick. And Scott Dixon, that win was very special for him. That's his 50th IndyCar win. And that was at race one at Gateway. Race two, Joseph Newgarden, which was also my pick, holds off a hard-charging Pato Award to win it. And it's good for Penske to get back to their winning ways with Joseph Newgarden, who also 
cuts the deficit from first place Scott Dixon in the points to 96 points, under 100 for, you know, probably the first time this season. So it was definitely an action-packed weekend. Ben, what did you think? You know, you had a lot of uh, uh, last spots that were filled in. I want to get your opinion on that, Ben. And, I'll, Kobe, I want to see what you have to say kind of about William Byron, Clint Boyer, and Matt DiBenedetto filling in those last spots for the playoffs. Yeah, you know, that's such the excitement that we were hoping for with um, this uh, playoff um, cutoff race, basically, at Daytona. Um, a lot of different strategy that went into it. We weren't sure what everybody was going to do. Everybody had a little different plan if they are going to try to points their way in or if they really needed to win. But uh, Clint Boyer locked up um, that one of the playoff spots after stage one. I believe he needed William Byron to finish seventh or worse. I, or fourth or worse or something like that. I, I believe he finished seventh in that first stage. So he locked himself in by points. Uh, William Byron obviously won the race to lock himself in. And Matt DiBenedetto was kind of bouncing in and out of that last spot. He gets it in. Um, so good run for him. But, uh, guys, Jimmy Johnson did not make it in the playoffs. Kind of had some trouble. Got caught up in one of the cautions. Kind of made it back on the track. His car was pretty damaged. What do you guys think uh, what that means for his legacy? Kobe, I'll start with you. Well, I mean, you know, in the recent years, Jimmy Johnson, it, it just hasn't, you know, it just really hasn't been a good time for Jimmy Johnson in the recent years. So I guess it's not really a surprise that he didn't make the playoffs this year. But heading into the season, we all thought that in his final year that Jimmy Johnson would finally get back to the Jimmy Johnson of old and he'd go out there and and, and go for championship number eight, you know, chasing eight. But, um, for, but unfortunately for him, you know, it's just going to be seven, and that's it. But, you know, seven championships, that's a remarkable accomplishment. Like 95, like 95, 96, 97% of the drivers in this field, you know, won't even come close to accomplishing the same things that Jimmy Johnson's accomplished in his career. And I believe that although he's struggled in these last few seasons of his career, of his full-time career as a NASCAR Cup driver, I don't think that this harms his legacy as all it went, you know, when we look back, at Richard Petty and, and Dale Singer, when they got to the tails end of their careers, their performance kind of dropped off as well. So, and and you and you know, no matter how talented a driver is, at some at some point, their their, their performance is going to drop off, and they're no longer going to be you know in their in their prime. And 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 unfortunately for Jimmy Johnson, it seemed like that that his drop off you know came very suddenly instead of just you know gradually wearing off over the years. Yeah, I don't think this harms Jimmy Johnson's legacy at all. He is one of the three greatest NASCAR drivers of all time. Um, you know, with seven championships, so many wins. I think 83 career wins for Jimmy Johnson. Uh, just a great career, but I do agree with Kobe. So many great drivers that we have seen have kind of fallen off that cliff. Because at the end of the day, father time is undefeated. Nobody can outrun time. You know, we've seen that with Jeff Gordon, which I talk about, uh, you know, a lot. His final year, he only won one race. Yes, he got to the championship four, but he was not really a threat um, at all. You know, you look at Dale Jr., who had no wins his final year. Um, and, you know, I just think Jimmy Johnson is at the time where, um, you know, he's not as competitive as he was. Um, and, and that happens. Uh, but Jimmy Johnson, definitely one of the greatest of all time. Um, him missing the playoffs sucks because I would have loved to see him go to get number eight, although I don't think uh, he would have probably made it out of the round of 16. But 
but the great thing for Jimmy Johnson is he doesn't have to worry about getting in the playoffs these last couple of races. He can go out and race his heart out. And I think Jimmy Johnson could get in victory lane somewhere, and I think Talladega may be where he does it. Yeah, uh, for me, Jimmy Johnson was my number one driver for the longest time. Uh, so for me, I, he's always going to hold a special place in my heart. And, yeah, I agree with you, Bryson. No, he can kind of enjoy these last races of the playoffs. You know, he won't be the big picture, but like he said, he's still got plenty of trophies he can go after and try to win. So I would love to see Jimmy Johnson at least get into victory lane one more time. He's got a couple good tracks for him coming up. But uh, uh, next up, we're going to talk about the Xfinity race. That was – um, they don't have their playoff cutoff yet, but that's going to be coming up here soon. But it was really dominated by Colleg Racing uh, with Ross Chastain, AJ Allmendinger, and Justin Haley were kind of the three cars up front all day. But on the white flag uh, on the last lap, Ross, acts, I mean, I, I'd say this was more an accident. We can kind of get the debate what, what you guys think. But he ends up wrecking AJ. AJ was leading on the last lap, and Justin Haley gets his second win of the year but uh what do you guys think of the move i know ross and aj very aggressive guys both smart racers but uh um is there any bad blood here or do you think colin racing's just happy they got the trophy i'll start with bryson um you know i think colin racing is happy i think matt colin is probably happy that they won unhappy that uh he lost money with these two cars ross the 10 and the uh, 16 of aj allmendinger um but here's the thing you're at Daytona. Ross has yet to win a race this year. AJ has won a race. AJ is a part-timer. And, you know, I don't blame Ross for going for the win. Um, it, it sucks that it was his teammate. It sucks that it ended in a fiery crash. Um, you know, but I, I disagreed with some of AJ's comments um, after the race, saying that he thought AJ or Ross would have done more to protect him. Um, and honestly, Ross was blocking the whole time for AJ. Justin Haley was the one that fell back in the pack and that left those two calling cars up front one, two. Ross was the one blocking the runs. So I disagree with AJ there, but I did like how AJ kind of put himself in Ross's shoes, saying, yeah, I would have loved to win this race, but I understand Ross is going for the title. And, uh, you know, I, I love AJ Allmendinger. Don't get me wrong. Um, it sucks that this had to happen. Um, but I think A.J. Allmendinger will be back. I don't think this hurts the relationship that they have, and I think when they go to Talladega, those three collar cars will work together once again, um, but it'll be interesting to see if Ross is leading that race and A.J.'s behind him, does A.J. do the same thing? So I'm interested to see what will happen uh, with these guys. Yeah, I fully agree with everything you said right there, Bryson. You know, AJ, AJ Allmendinger did a really good job in his interview afterwards, you know, not getting mad at his teammate. I mean, we, I mean, AJ, did, AJ was very professional there. And obviously, we won't know how he was really feeling, but but certainly putting himself in Ross's shoes there. If, you know, you're Ross Chastain, you haven't won a race yet, you, you, want, you want a secure win, you know, and solidify your spot in the playoffs, you know, get, the, get those playoff points and all of that. And, and you know that there, there was there was there was a tiny gap there, and and he went for it. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out. But Ben Ross Chastain, you definitely want to do whatever you can to try to win. And and I I think it was the year year prior at this you know at the second Daytona race, it was it was Ross Chastain who won, and and Justin Haley actually got 
yeah, yeah, it was Ross Chastain who won that race, and then Justin Haley got criticized because they didn't think that he tried to to go for the win, you know, blocking off, blocking off all the others so they could get a colic car into victory lane. And but you know, Ross Chastain, he he didn't he didn't settle at all, and we all know Ross is a very aggressive racer, so he so he's certainly not just gonna lay over and just let one and and let someone win, even if it's his teammate. So Ross Ross went for the move, took out two colic cars, you know really not ideal but hey matt collett still got the victory with justin haley i imagine it probably would have been a different story if ross you know if ross and aj had wrecked and then justin haley got caught up in there well and someone else won the race then i expect you know that there might be some harsh feelings yeah ben well um you know your pick i felt bad for you because i really thought todd gilliland was going to win at gateway but sheldon creed Makes an aggressive pass on Todd Gilliland going into turn one. Todd Gilliland smacks the wall. And sadly for Todd Gilliland, he dominated that race. Won both stages. He was the best truck all day. Got some good playoff points. He's not so much on the bubble anymore. It looked like Todd Gilliland was going to punch his ticket. And then Sheldon Creed happened. You know, and they're friends. And, and Sheldon Creed apologized, said that shouldn't have happened, that they're good friends. And Todd Gilliland had a lot to say about it, saying that he shouldn't have gone down there. Todd Gilliland was not happy because Front Row was about to get their first win as a truck team, and they didn't. So, Ben, I'm going to start with you. Is there any bad blood there? Um, do you think that they will be civil on the track, or do you think Todd Gilliland is out? for blood you know this is interesting like you said they're they're both friends and i think if for some reason i think todd dylan or excuse me todd gilland uh does not make it into the playoffs i think he's gonna give sheldon creed a lot harder of a time or if maybe he misses one of the rounds um but i think if they both make it and they both fight for the championship i think they'll be able to work it out because now they're if one of them gets into a, a wreck, um, there it's that's, that's going to cost them both the championship. So I think they'll they will work it out. They'll talk it out. I hope. Um, you know, they're both young and everything, and obviously it'd be awesome to see Front Row get their first truck win. Uh, you know, they don't maybe has as much success in the Cup side and everything, but uh, I hope this works out between the two of them because I think they can both be some strong contenders in the playoffs. Yeah, and Front Row Motorsports mentioned, although although they probably haven't had the success that they've wanted to in the Cup Series, and you know, John Hunter Nemechek for a while, and when we returned from the pandemic, John Hunter he was really clicking off some really good finishes, and then you know it's kind of fallen off a little bit since then. But you know Todd Gilliland, that Truck Series program, brand new this year for Front Row Motorsports, getting a, is getting a lot better, and 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 you know he was really really good good at Gateway. And and that move on Sheldon Creed, you know, just ruined his perfect run there. I definitely thought Todd Gillen was going to win that race. And as you know, when talking about bad blood, I'm not really sure if there's going to be any there. But but maybe Todd Gillen will wait until you know, until Sheldon Creed's most vulnerable time in the in the Truck Series playoffs, and maybe he'll pay him back there. I know I know we've seen it before, you know, where where drivers get payback. I'm not sure if it's going to happen, but it would not surprise me if we see them bracing each other a little harder on track or, or if there's a time in the playoffs where Sheldon Creed needs to finish a certain position to advance, maybe Todd Gillen gives him a little bump and something happens from there. 
Yeah, so here's some news today. Moving and shaking, part of the silly season. Eric Almarola has signed an extension that he will return to Storehouse Racing in the 10 next year for 2021. William Byron also signs an extension today to stay with Hendrick through 2022 following his win. Been a good week for that young man. And also Noah Gragson signing an extension to be back in the nine for junior motorsports. Some big moves there, but also a move that kind of uh, shocked us this week is that Jermaine Racing uh, has some rumors brewing. That's the number 13 car of Ty Dillon. Uh, rumors broke about a potential sale of Jermaine Racing. Uh, the statement would main at this time, anything's on the table. Jermaine Racing does not have a signed sponsorship contract for 2021, and Bob Jermaine is exploring conversations for a potential sale. So, um, I'm going to kick the all first, and then I'll share what I think will happen with Ty Dillon. What does this mean for Ty Dillon's future? Where will he go if Jermaine Racing is sold and they decide not to bring him back? So, uh, Kobe, we're going to let you go first here. What do you think? What is going to be Ty Dillon's future? Well, cer certainly I believe if if Jermaine Racing is sold and Ty Dillon does not return to the organization, luckily, you know, Richard, Richard Childress's grandfather has an organization, already got two cars for Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick. And, and you know, that program is just getting a lot better at RCR and maybe just maybe – if Ty Dillon doesn't have anywhere to go, they can just take that 13 or whatever number they have, 30, or, you know, do the swap to the 30, back to the 31 and, and bring Ty Dillon in-house, understanding that Ty Dillon, he wanted to remain committed to Jermaine Racing and build that program outside of his grandfather's team. But if Jermaine Racing is not going to be around any longer, at, at, least there, at least there could be a spot over there at RCR for Ty Dillon, you know, considering all of the, you know, all the success he had in the truck series with them and then some in Xfinity as well. So I think that, Unlike other drivers, you know, Ty Dillon has has something, you know, good that he could fall back on if the worst comes to worst. Yeah, this is going to be interesting, too, because I don't think Ty Dillon really has any personal sponsors. I mean, I think basically Geico is the primary sponsor throughout the whole year. I think they used to have Twisted T, but I'm not sure if uh, that's still an agreement there. But, uh, you know, it sucks. Uh, actually, one of the... Uh, mechanical engineering students I met through Formula SAE at UNC Charlotte just got a job at Jermaine Racing so I'd really hate it to see if that team got sold hopefully it works out for them and who knows maybe a guy from the Xfinity series or somebody could bring some money to that team and kind of get that operation going maybe open up the budget for him but uh, it'll be interesting to see I could definitely see Ty Dillon bringing on a management role in RCR um, and maybe once Richard Childers is ready to step away uh, from kind of the a main management team yeah, I think Ty Dillon's future, I think uh, here's just a, a number of things. I think Ty Dillon and the 31 could definitely happen. He could be a third car there. I think the 31 or the 27, which was a number there, or maybe the 29 for Ty Dillon. I think uh, one of those options. But I think the best option for Ty Dillon, this will surprise you, is the two car for Richard Childress Racing. I, think, I don't think Ty Dillon's ready for the big leagues yet. And I think if you give him time to get down in Xfinity, win some races, gain some looks, um, you know, and, and kind of get that maturity level and, you know, get that experience. I think Ty Dillon there for the Xfinity program, I think for RCR, would be great. Uh, and who knows? Geico could follow Ty Dillon to RCR. Um, I think it could definitely happen. I think Ty Dillon 
RCR um, could definitely happen. I also think front row in the 34 could definitely be an option. Um, I'm not really sure what Michael McDowell will be doing next year. Could front row go back to a three-card team? I think Ty Dillon's got some options. Um, but I think Ty Dillon, he's not like Austin, where Austin has won championships in other levels. Ty has not done that. I think Ty needs to go and prove himself. And um, I think in the ride, the two-car that Tyler Reddick won a championship in, I think it works for Ty Dillon. I agree with you there, Bryson, actually, because I was just going to say that about Ty Dillon. He just really hasn't proved himself. I mean, he was competitive in the Xfinity Series, but he only had one win. I mean, he was competitive in the Truck Series, had a couple wins there, but just never won the championship. So it's hard following kind of the shadow of his brother, but uh, I certainly hoped he'll uh, stay in racing. I don't really see him leaving RCR or any team that isn't affiliated with RCR just because they're that loyal. But uh, up next, we can kind of start discussing Darlington and some of the throwback paint schemes. I mean, I think everybody in the sport, this is kind of what our favorite weekends. Uh, had all three of us, we kind of picked out some of our favorite schemes and kind of the backstories behind there uh, and kind of why we like them. Kobe, you can go ahead and start. What scheme did you pick out? Actually, my favorite scheme heading into Darlington Throwback Weekend is the number 19, Derek Krause's, you know, number 19 Napa-sponsored car throwback to Ron Hornaday during the early days of the NASCAR Gander RVN Outdoors Truck Series. I just love that scheme, seeing, you know, seeing some of the images in the past of what the Truck Series looked like back in the day and and just seeing that scheme, uh, you know, that they released, or I believe it was earlier today, it was it was just really, you know, popping and it, and it caught my eye. And and after evaluating all of those throwback schemes, there's a, and there's a lot of the schemes that I really do like, but if I had to pick one, it's definitely Derek Krause. I have two schemes that I really like, and I'm taking it to the Xfinity Series, and I'm going to Jeremy Clements, number 51 Chevrolet, their parables.com. Uh, that's the car, that's the uh, sponsor running this weekend. But what I really like about this scheme is this. Clements, who is a South Carolina native, will drive a scheme that pays tribute to NASCAR champions from his home state. Drivers who will be honored will be include Buck Baker, David Pearson, Kel Yarborough. Those are Cup Series champions. In the Xfinity Series, Sam Ard will be honored and Larry Pearson. Uh, their faces are on the car. Um, this is a really cool scheme. I love NASCAR legends. And this is such a great way uh, to honor these people, and especially being at Darlington, um, you know, in South Carolina, where a lot of these fans grew up with these drivers. So I think um, it, it is very cool. Also, another scheme um, that, you know, I'm, I'm a little partial because I'm family friends with uh, Jeffrey and Carrie Earnhardt. Uh, Jeffrey Earnhardt will drive a scheme uh, this weekend to honor his grandpa and to honor Carrie Earnhardt, his father. How cool is that? Uh, paint scheme for Dale and Carrie. Um, I've always liked that scheme there in the zero. And also uh, another scheme that I really like, Michael Annette's number one, which is a throwback to Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, the Oreo scheme. That was actually the first scheme that I saw. Loved it, really liked it. Ben, what schemes do you like? You know, me and Kobe have talked about the truck and the Xfinity series. Tell us about some cup schemes you like. I got to say, uh, obviously, with Jimmy Johnson retiring this year and it being the last season, Hendrick went ahead and did three 
paint schemes that honored Jimmy uh, with William Byron, Alex Bowman, and Chase Elliott, all from kind of a different championship era. Uh, and I believe uh, William Byron's doing a paint scheme that has to do with uh, when he ran, I believe, Charlotte. It was a 4th of July throwback or a, a Memorial Day throwback, so kind of red, white, and blue. But among those, I have to go with Alex Bowman's tribute. That car, I believe, was kind of the paint scheme for the end of the car or uh, – yeah, kind of the beginning of the car tomorrow um, for when, Jam- when Jimmy was winning championships there. I just, when I think of that, I have that die cast. Uh, I think of that, I just, when I think of Jimmy's dominance when he won those five straight championships. Also, Chase Briscoe, um, he did, he's doing a throwback to Tony Stewart's 2011 uh, Mobile One paint scheme. I love that. I was not a huge Tony Stewart fan uh, until I, he kind of got towards the end of his career. A lot of people like to say he ages like fine wine, but, uh, I think about that car. I just think about when he was dominating. That was kind of when he first started up Stuart Haas racing and, uh, Jimmy Johnson's scheme too. He did some really unique, he kind of worked with, uh, Dale Jr. On this. He took, um, the paint schemes from Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt and himself and kind of combined some of the STP colors, the black number three. He even had, um, Richard Petty's 43 font on the roof and everything. It's really cool. I, it's kind of a unique idea. Um, same with Jeremy Clement's paint scheme with the South Carolina. I actually really do like that idea along with the paint scheme, but uh, really cool to see. Uh, I like how you know a lot of teams are still not trying to exhaust uh, too many of these ideas, still coming up with some great ideas for uh, this. And a lot more paint schemes out there that are really cool, but uh, I think this will be a great Darlington show. Yeah, and I want to add on there about Jimmy Johnson's scheme. Something that was very interesting. I saw a post. I don't know if I shared it with you, Ben. Uh, but it was there at Daytona under red flag. You had the 21, the 24, the 48, the 3, and the 43. All lined up there. And what was so cool about that, somebody said, you have all these drivers that are driving these numbers that are so iconic. Those are the most iconic numbers in the sport. But only one driver has made it, that number. Uh, out of all the numbers there, only one driver has made that number special. And that's Jimmy Johnson. He was the one that made that 48 relevant. And that's really cool that he's the only one left. It's kind of sad to see him go, uh, knowing that somebody else is going to fill in for Jimmy Johnson. So that's a really cool Jimmy Johnson scheme for sure. And up next, we're going to be getting into Rookie Rundown. Uh, we kind of have a couple points that we want to talk about. First off, uh, Reddix, uh, he, he threw an aggressive black towards the end of the race. Uh, he got to the lead, had some momentum, and uh, Kyle Busch was leading a charge on the high side. And I think it looked like Reddick, um, and I listened to some spotter audio as well, he, he got clear when he was going to make the move, but the momentum was just too great um, by the time he got there and put Kyle Busch in the wall and caused a big wreck. So what do you guys think of that? Was it kind of a inexperienced move? Was it reckless? Do you think it was just kind of a Daytona racing thing? Uh, I'll start with you, Kobe. Well, I, I, said, I think it was a mix of, you know, being a rookie and also Reddick didn't have a win and he needed to lock himself into the playoffs. And and when you're in Tyler Reddick's shoes, just like Ross Chastain, you're you know, Ross Chastain was, you know, obviously in much better shape in the Xfinity Series than Tyler Reddick was in the Cup Series, but Reddick certainly needed to win the race in order to get into the playoffs and try to take that rookie of the year away from Cole Custer so those two could fight it out in the playoffs for that as well, and not only for the championship. But I certainly think 
it was a it was a mix of you know inexperience at the cup level and and also the desire to try to win the race so you can be in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't mind the move at all. Uh, he had to do it. He had to get up front. Um, Tyler Reddick needed a win to get in. I don't blame him. Uh, but I think the sound bite that was so cool was was Ryan Newman saying the number eight car ran out of talent. He can win a couple of Xfinity championships and still stick his head where the sun don't shine. I just, uh, I really hate it for Ryan Newman. What, a, you know, it's been hard for him. And then he gets caught up in this wreck. I don't blame Reddick at all. Uh, drivers will be mad at Tyler Reddick. That's all right. They would have done the same move if they were in his situation. Tyler Reddick did nothing wrong. He's trying to win the race and he's trying to get into the playoffs. So I don't blame him. But, uh, Next year, Tyler Reddick will be back, and I think he will make the playoffs next year. And I think if you look at that move, if it was in the Daytona 500 or Talladega earlier in the year, I think he would have a lot more drivers mad. But I think at this point, it's kind of a make-or-break season or make-or-break uh, for guys' season. So, yeah, they're going to be mad, but I feel you can kind of brush it off. Just It, it kind of caps off a, a, a kind of some bad seasons for a lot of drivers. So. And, too, if you think about it, too, you know, I mean, Tyler Reddick, uh, he did it later in the race. I could understand if drivers were mad if it was the first 20 laps. But there was almost 15 to go. So, I mean, he had to make a move sometime. And up next, uh, we it's funny, we just talked about Rookie of the Year standings uh, in our last episode and how Tyler Reddick, I believe, had about a 90-point advantage over Cole Custer. But I didn't. I guess we didn't really understand how the Rookie of the Year points are, are – kind of playing out Kobe and I talked about this before uh we started recording but Custer officially wins rookie of the year and I'm not sure if that's default because he was the only driver that won a race and made it into the playoffs and everything I don't entirely agree with it but um what do you guys think about this I'm fine with Cole Custer winning rookie of the year he won a race he's the only rookie in the playoffs but to me it's almost like then why are we doing these points why do they matter the whole year? I think Rookie of the Year should be the whole year uh, that the rookie had as a whole. I don't think it should just be, well, Cole Custer, you know, had, you know, one good race. He led a couple laps. You know, you look at Cole Custer, he's led five laps all year compared to Tyler Reddick leading 28. You know, it's just very strange to me. Um why they're doing that. Uh, he had, Cole Custer had more DNFs than Tyler Reddick. And most importantly, Cole Custer was a landslide away from Tyler Reddick in points. Uh, I think Cole Custer wins it because he won the race. But to us fans, we understand that Tyler Reddick got gypped on this one. Yeah, definitely agree with you there, Bryson. Was, I don't really understand, you know, this, this change at all because it, it just really doesn't seem fair considering, you know, that overall Tyler Reddick's been performing a lot better than Colt Custer, and then Colt Custer went and stole that race at Kentucky. I mean, he, he, he Colt Custer definitely earned that win. That was that was really unexpected. Didn't even I really didn't expect to see Colt Custer win a race this year, to be honest with you. But but cer but certainly it just doesn't seem right. You know, with ten races to go, with the rookie of the year title is wrapped up before the playoffs. M moving forward into next year, I'm hopeful that NASCAR is going to reevaluate this to ensure that the rookie of the year battle will go will go down until the very end. So Ben, what do you think about Cole Custer's shot in the playoffs? I have in my bracket him out in the round of 16. 
Do you think he'll go far in this, or do you think it's just a fluke? I think if you look at Reddick and Custer, uh, I mean, if they both made it in or run into the other, I just don't see Custer having the speed right now to be able to step up and be able to make a good run in the playoffs. I know he's a rookie and everything, but uh, he's got the one race win, and I think I haven't finished my bracket, but uh, I would probably have him out after the round of 16. Uh, he just hasn't quite had the – I mean, he's had decent speed since he won, but just not enough to, I feel like, get you know go up there and compete for stage wins consistently through the race and then put together three good races at a time. What do you think, Kobe? Yeah, I definitely think that Cole Custer is going to be one of the first four out. He's he's had an up and down year. It seems like he's certainly getting a better handle on the cup cars as of as of lately, running a lot better. But and then you know winning that race to Kentucky, I don't I don't think that you know Cole Custer, just, he he's a really a really young rookie. I feel I feel like that he you know needs to get a little bit more experience before I feel like he can make a deep run into the playoffs. So. So it would definitely surprise me if he advances out of the round of 16, but maybe if he can put together some consistent runs, he might sneak into the round of 12. Well, let's wrap it up. Let's give our picks for this weekend. Uh, ben, I think me and Ben are starting to keep score kind of of our picks. We'll have that total probably at the end of the year. Um, I think it's pretty close, but we got Kobe on with us this week. We're excited to see who he picks. Ben, kick it off. Who do you got for the truck race? Uh, so they're going to be back at Darlington for the first time in almost 10 years. So I'm really excited about seeing this. But I think experience is going to be key um, just because the younger drivers haven't really had an opportunity to run at Darlington. You don't really get the chance until the Xfinity Series to be making that far. Uh, so I'm going to go with Brett Moffitt. Uh, I think he, he still needs to find a victory, but I think if he's going to get it done, this would be the racetrack to do it. Well, I had a hard time deciding who I wanted to pick because Trevor Bain is back with Nice Motorsports. Greg Biffle's back with GMS. David Reagan's back. You can see a lot of these teams that haven't been to Darlington in a long time are going based on experience. And that's what I'm going to do. Greg Biffle's going to go to Victory Lane. He was, you know, won the last truck race he was in for Kyle Busch Motorsports. Greg Biffle's going to do it at Darlington. And uh, I'm excited to see that 24 get in Victory Lane. Kobe, who do you got for the truck race? I'm I'm gonna go with an experienced veteran who's who's been one of the regulars in the truck series for so many years. I'm going with the number eighty eight of Matt Crafton. That's a good pick, Ben. What do you got for the Xfinity race? Looking forward to seeing these awesome schemes and looking forward to see what will happen with the Colin cars. Yeah, and speaking of the Colin cars, I'm gonna go with Ross Chastain, uh, just because I feel like. Uh, it's a good opportunity for him to finally get a win this season. It's just it's hard to believe. We thought you'd have a couple by it now, but uh, I think you need to have a nice balance of being aggressive and and but being able to uh, you know give Lady in Black some respect. Uh, you know he had that good run in the 42 a couple of years ago. Uh, had that good run with Kevin Harvick until he got into the wall. A really dominant car there, and I uh, hope to see it again. Well, Ben, my pick is going to be Chase Briscoe in the 98. Won the Darlington race earlier, holding off Kyle Busch. It's going to happen again. Plus, he's got Tony Stewart's scheme on his car. He's going to get some of that smoke magic, baby. He's going to take it. And then for me, I'm going to go with a cup driver who's going to come in and crash the field. And I, and I think it's going to be the number 54 of Denny Hamlin. 
That's a good pick right there. The main event is going to be Sunday night, 6 p.m. NBC. Ben, who do you have winning? I'm going to go with Martin Truex Jr., kind of in a drought right now. Picked in the past, hasn't been able to get it done, but he's pretty solid at Darlington. I didn't quite catch. I, yeah, that's right. He's doing a throwback to uh, himself back in the Xfinity Series when he won a championship. So uh, hopefully they'll be able to rekindle some of that magic. All right, Kobe, who do you got for the cup race on Sunday night? And, and the last time we were at Darlington, it was it was, it was was a midweek race. Chase Elliott looked like he was going to be able to get the win, but, you know, unfortunately he made contact with Kyle Busch, which ended Chase Elliott's chances of winning. Then the ring came, and, and, you know, and Chase was not really happy with Kyle that night, but I think Chase Elliott's finally going to get the one that got away and take home the prestigious cookout Southern 500. Well, my pick's pretty easy. Uh, he won the first race back at Darlington. You know, that four car looks pretty good. Kevin Harvick gets win number eight. You can book that. He's going to the round of 12. Kevin Harvick is going to win. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap it up for us. A big shout out to Kobe. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure, and hopefully we can get you back on soon uh, because it's been great. Uh, talking some NASCAR with you. Ben, what are your handles on Twitter and Instagram? Yeah, thanks again, Kobe, for coming on. We wish you the best of luck. And uh, on your on your senior last year of college, uh, hopefully able to put yourself in a good job. But everybody follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Neb underscore Nala. It's my name backwards. Kobe, go ahead and give yourself a shout out. Yeah, you can, you can follow me on Twitter at at Kobe Lamb on, on Instagram at Motorsports Mamba, and also be sure to follow the, the Podium Finish on Twitter as well at the Podium Finish, and also the Grid Network at Grid Ranking. Also, you can like also you can like our Facebook page, Grid Network. You we're on, we're on YouTube as well. Just type in Grid Network, you, and you and you should be able to find us. And if you're able to support us on Patreon, please, yeah, we're we're working really hard, and we wanted to prove that we belong in this industry. And if you and if and we understand it's hard times, and if you can't support us through Patreon, we highly encourage you to tell all of your friends about the Grid Network and the Podium Finish as well. And last but not least, Bryson Foster two five nine on Instagram, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the throwback weekend at Darlington and enjoy that cookout Southern 500.